to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Do you believe everything you're told? If you don't study the Bible for yourself, how can you judge what someone else tells you the Bible says? The best defense against false teachers are believers who are already immersed in the truth themselves and building their personal relationship with Christ through prayer. Teaching team member David McNeely concludes his series from Jude with this message entitled, How to Contend, which covers Jude verses 17 through 25. Thank you for joining us today. David McNeely, one of the pastors here on staff. I work with the young adults and the young families in particular, and it's a joy to be with you for the third and final installment as we look at this little small book, the book of Jude. It's right close to the book of Revelation, which is a little more famous. More people are familiar with it, but Jude comes right before that, and Jude is a servant of Jesus. It's his primary identity. That's how he sees himself. And he wrote to the called. The called are those who are loved, beloved by God himself, and then kept as well by God and by Jesus until the very end. And he wrote to them for a very specific purpose, and that was contend for the faith, agonize, strive. It's going to be continuous and ongoing until those skies rip open and Jesus returns again, that we will fight on this earth right here. So he says, fight. Contend for the faith, not just some blind faith, not just some wish that we might uh, hope might be the case, but it, it, it's objective body of truth that we're fighting for. Now, why? Because the souls of men are at stake. We here believe in a doctrine, a theology that I adhere to wholeheartedly, and that is God is responsible for the salvation of man. He is sovereign over all who will come to him in faith. But I think sometimes we, in our tradition, get a little lazy in that and we let our theology dictate how it is that we practice. Now, we should have our theology dictate what we practice, but let me say this, we hide behind a theology in order to be lazy. I think what God has called us to do is to contend, to fight, because the souls of man are at stake. Fight for people. That's what we want to be about. We believe there is a very real enemy who comes to seek, I'm sorry, who seeks to kill and to destroy. And we want to join up with God who comes to bring life that we might have it to the fullest. So fight. Now the question comes, well, how do we do that? How do we contend for this faith? How is it that we go about this process where we join God in his mission to advance his kingdom all throughout the globe? Jude gives us some instruction in that. You have your Bibles. Turn to the book, and we'll look at this final little section. I think what he's going to call us to do ultimately is to remember in this section. He's going to tell us to remember several things, but is it not true that we all have a natural tendency to forget that which is most important? I've shared this with you before, but I have actually on occasion forgotten my children. I have left them in a car. I have left them at a park. I have left them at a rest uh, station. I have left my children in, in various places. That children are very, very important. We all have a natural tendency to forget things that are important. Now, what Jude is telling us is we have a tendency, I think, to forget who God is and what he does. It's just going to call us to remember that. Remember the old children's prayer? 
God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. We need to remember God is great and awesome in power, and we also need to remember he is good. He is good to those who love him. When we left off last week, my guess was is that you were thinking about the souls of some people that you're fighting for right now, that you're contending for, that you are assaulting the throne of grace for. And I know for some of us that was thinking about our children. Some of us were thinking about a spouse. Some of us were thinking about a coworker, and others a teacher, others a friend. We're thinking about those in our lives that we know in many ways that there's not a whole lot that we can do for them. We can argue politely. We can reason. But at the end of the day, we can't change them. So how, how do we fight for them? Begin reading in verse 17. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. And to others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment that is stained by the flesh. Now unto him, who is able to keep you from falling, to present you faultless before his presence with exceeding great joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, Let there be glory, majesty, dominion, and power, both now and forever. Amen. We are called right here at the beginning. We are the called ones by God himself. And then one of these called ones, the servant of Jesus, Jude, then gives us some instructions. He calls out, it is coming from the mouth of God himself, as Jude was moved along by the power of the Spirit to instruct us in how it is to we're to contend. And he says, remember. Remember the predictions of the apostles. We won't spend much time on this section because we covered it last week, but just look at what he draws our attention to. Remember. Remember there will be scoffers. Scoffers are those who look at the truth and they turn their nose up at it, believing they are far superior to it. They see the demands of it, but it's beneath them. The Nelson Bible Dictionary, I think, gives a great uh, definition of it. It is one who shows contempt by mocking, sneering, or scorning. Remember, the apostle said, there will be scoffers. To expect that the church is not going to have scoffers around is to have an unbiblical mindset. They are here. They are coming. Just remember that they were predicted about long ago. Remember that they will follow their own ungodly passions, unrestrained evil as they move forward doing what it is that they want, when they want, however they want. Just remember that they're here. They will cause divisions. Those divisions will be unnecessary. They will not be over matters that really matter in life. They will be over trivial matters. They will pull us away from the ultimate truths that we need to stake our lives on. They will be worldly people. 
When he says worldly here, I think that he's contrasting it with the next statement when he says they will be devoid of the Holy Spirit. He's putting these two things together to show us they will be natural people living only for this particular world right here. Not living for the world that is to come. They will be devoid of the Spirit. The Spirit of God will not be residing within them. He says, remember the predictions of these apostles. And he tells us, Jude does, to fight against those who would fit this category. Listen to Thomas Schreiner, though, as he so wisely lets us know, if this is all that we do, if we spend all of our energy trying to go around and fight everyone that is out there, I don't think that we're going to do what God has called us to do ultimately. Listen to what he says. Love for God cannot thrive when believers devote all their attention to the deficiency of others. Mom, Dad, you're devoting all your time to the deficiencies of your children? That comes really naturally to me. I want so much for them, and absolutely my pride is mixed up in there. My ego is wrapped in there as well, but I want so much for them. It's easier to focus in on that. It's, it's easy to focus in on all of the untruths that those in the world are speaking rather than getting after the business that God has called me to, and that is to love him with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength, to walk in obedience to his commands. It's far easier to point out the flaws of others than it is to walk in obedience and submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. So remember, the predictions of the apostles is how he starts out. The second thing that he tells us, though, is to keep ourselves in the love of God. Now, this is the primary driving command in this section. There's going to be some things or ways that we do that, but the driving command is to keep yourselves in the love of God. You'll remember that word keep. It showed up on week one. The called, beloved, kept by God. It showed up last week. As we talked about the angels that have been held under lock and key, they are kept there by God himself without the opportunity to repent. It's this same word here. He says, keep yourselves in the love of God. Now, it sounds like on the one hand, Jude is saying, hey, it's up to you. You got to go do it. You got to work really hard. And yes, he is telling us to work really hard. But what he is not saying is it's up to you because he's already told us it's up to God to keep. What he wants us to do is to keep ourselves in the pathway of God. Keep showing up in the presence of God. Keep coming in. Keep drawing near. Keep yourself in a manner of obedience is what he's saying. Jesus says it this way in John 15. Abide in me. We're already here. So quit trying to leave. He'll let you go for a little ways. And then he will bring you back. Keep yourselves in the love of God. He says, first of all, that we're to do that by building ourselves up in this most holy faith, this objective truth that we are to know and to understand and to move forward with. 1 Corinthians 15.10 says, By the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is in me. Work hard by God's grace. Don't work hard for God's approval. Work hard because you have God's approval. Don't work hard to get into the presence of God. Work hard because you are in the presence of God and stay 
Paul says it again this way in Philippians 2. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more so in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work according to his good pleasure. The same grace that rolled the stone away is the same power that's alive in us today. So strive Work hard by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus' power given to us by the Holy Spirit. Work hard in that. Build yourselves up. I want to give you just six ways I think that we could do that. This is not to be an exhaustive list. And I promise you this is not to be an infomercial for Perimeter Church. But there are some things that we do here that I think can help you be built up in your faith. So just very briefly, six ways that you can do that. Number one. Read God's word and listen to him as he talks to you. Just open this book up and put yourself there in its presence on a regular and consistent basis. Begin to read what it is that God has to say. It is very important that you come here and you listen to the teaching of God's word. It's very important that I prepare appropriately and adequately. It's very important that I would work hard for you, but you are missing out if you were only getting my chewed up food for you. The worst thing that we could do is for me to invite you to lunch and say, let's go over to Stony River. And it's on me. And we're going to walk over to Stony River and they're going to bring us those steaks and they're going to look at that. And of course, the only way, proper way to eat a steak is to eat it rare. Still mooing is the way that God intended for cows to be eaten upon and feasted. <laughs> we're going to go there. They're going to, you're going to have your plate. I'm going to have mine. I'm going to look at that. I'm going to bring it over here and I'm going to cut it. And I'm going to put it in my mouth. Mm, 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 mm. And I'm going to put it right back on your plate and say, go, you can have it now. You would look at me as if I had a third eye in the middle of my forehead. That's exactly what happens when the only time you're getting God's word is when I chew it up and spit it out to you. The Holy Spirit only guides me on a few things. I don't know everything there is to know about this. And he is so much better of a teacher than me. He's even better than Randy. Read this word so that you can hear his voice. Look at it so that you can listen to him. The second thing that we can do is to pray and to talk to God. I would highly recommend that you have some set time during your day in which you would come before him, guard that time above all else. Make sure that nothing takes priority over this. Set a time, and if you are physically able, I would even encourage you, this is thus saith David, not this, thus saith the Lord, I would encourage you to get on your knees and come before the Father, not because God looks at you on your knees and says, whoo he's serious now, so now I'm going to listen, and now angels, let's go, pour out blessings on him, he's on his knees, not that. It's to remind me that I belong here, and he belongs here. And my job is to come before him as a humble servant on my knees saying, what is it that you want? Talk to him. Let him talk to you. This is how all relationships are built. You only had one person doing all the talking. The relationship would never be developed. I fear that sometimes we just have a one-sided conversation with God. The third thing is to join a healthy church. 
When I say join, I don't merely mean that you just show up on Sundays and you sort of throw some coins in periodically when you get a little bit of abundance and you got a little breathing room in there. I'm talking about join a church, become a formal member, walk through the process, and submit yourself underneath the authority of deeply flawed leaders who are guided by the Holy Spirit. Place yourself up underneath. Trust God so deeply that you say, God, I trust you. I trust your character. I trust your will. I trust your sovereignty so much that I'm actually going to submit myself to earthly leaders. Join a healthy church that will teach the full counsel of God, that will challenge you to grow in your faith and to pass this faith on to others. Don't just show up. Join. Perimeter is not the only good church out there. We're just one healthy church. Spend quality time with other Christians and allow them into your personal life so that you might become accountable to them. Number four, study doctrine. Do not be misled into thinking that doctrine is for the elite, spiritually deep people. Good doctrine, right theology, is for every child of God at every age. We have a class here at Perimeter called TFL. The very first time that Randy asked me to come and to speak, I spoke here on the stage. I was in the youth ministry, and then uh, he came to me and said, hey, rumor has it that you are neither a member nor have you ever gone through TFL. I said, uh, that, that's true. He said, oh, interesting. <laughs> and the next morning, I got a phone call from a guy on staff who invited me into his TFL group that would be taking place on Friday mornings at 6 o'clock. It was punishment. But it was wonderful. It was glorious to be able to get up and to spend time and to dig further into the depths of who God is and what he does. Love the Lord your God with all of your mind. Be challenged. Get a hold of this rich, historic theology. I promise you, you will not regret it. Serve others both inside and outside of the church. It's another way we can build ourselves up. Our global outreach department, our community outreach department are so good. Um, It is amazing the opportunities that we would have in order to be stretched in the process. Highly encourage you to check in, serve locally, serve globally. Again, this is the last one. There's 10 more we could list, but just last one. Share your faith with others. Share what it is that has been given to you with others in the process. I learned this in the earliest days of AA, as has been given to me, so I want to pass on to others. If you don't know how to do that, let me underscore it again. Get a part of Express Your Faith. Take that uh, uh, next weekend uh, as it comes about or at some other time. Heard Randy say this before, if you don't have a plan for how it is that you want to share your faith with others and you think Randy's plan is a bad plan, He says this, I like my bad plan better than your no plan. Your plan doesn't have, you don't have to be Randy. You don't have to be the other Joe Schmo over here. Just be yourself and share your faith with others. The next way he tells us to build ourselves up, or sorry, to keep ourselves rather in the love of God, is in verse 20 he says to pray in the Holy Spirit. 
Now, I don't think that we should get carried away here into thinking that there's some unique way here that when we're praying in the Spirit, then these four conditions are met and this happens and so forth. I think what he's trying to do is to contrast the previous group beforehand. We said they are devoid of the Spirit and you pray in the Spirit. I think what he's getting across is this. Believers pray because the Holy Spirit knows what he's doing. And he will guide and he will lead and he will press in and he will convict and he will move and listen to him as he leads you in your prayer time. There may be times in your life in which you just come before the Father and the the needs of your soul are so deep and you can't express them that you just offer a, ah, and the Holy Spirit says, got it. He takes it, puts it up in the presence of God because of the merit of Jesus Christ. It goes before the Father flawless and the Holy Spirit puts words to our utterances. Pray. There is no such thing as staying in the love of God without praying. It is your greatest asset you have available to you. Do not make it the last resort. Make it the first. He says, wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ in verse 21. Yes, there is the sense in which we are to wait on the Lord right now and he will provide us with the strength that is necessary. But I think what he's getting across is that we are waiting for the ultimate time in which Jesus will come. Does your life reflect a waiting upon the return of Jesus or are you chasing after everything that the world has to offer right now as if there is nothing else better that will come later on? Wait on the Lord. Wait for him to return once again. I think in essence, what he's trying to say in this, when it comes to keep ourselves in the love of God, he's saying, walk in obedience by faith, one step forward, trusting him all along the way that he will meet you. His grace will give you the power to do what it is that we need. Third thing I see in this section of scripture, this passage, is that we are called to extend mercy to those who have been affected by the false teachers. Extend mercy to those who have been affected. He says, first, have mercy on those who doubt. In John chapter 20, doubting Thomas comes along and he says, I'm not going to believe unless Jesus shows up and he lets me uh, uh, touch him so that I can see that it really is him that's alive. And Jesus shows up on the scene and he goes to the doubter and he extends himself and he says, come and touch The opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is fear. Extend mercy to those who are are concerned, who are not maybe as far along as you are. You know why this is so important? Because it is through our doubt. There's no such thing as faith without doubt. If I have absolute, complete, total assurance that this thing right here is going to hold me up, then there's no chance that I'm going to be worried at all when I step out. There's no risk here. But if I think there's a chance, but I know I'm supposed to step out, this is faith. Faith is not the removal of all doubt. Faith is moving forward in the midst of doubt. And when we hammer those who have doubts, we blow the opportunity for them to develop faith. So have mercy on them. The second group that he says that we are to snatch others out of the fire. 
No doubt in my mind, he's referring here to Zechariah 3. Joshua, who is the high priest, is described as a burning stick snatched from the fire. He had clothes that were stained, and God said, Take off those stained, dirty, filthy garments and put on the clean ones that I will provide. He is telling him to get rid of the sin and take on the righteousness of Christ. It's a great exchange. He is telling these folks, when there are those who are involved in sin, we are to actually go after them. When folks are beginning to get in over their heads, one of the worst things that we can do is to leave them there. Over the years, I've taken part in many, many meetings with students that are in over their heads with drugs and alcohol. Some interventions where we walk in with a trained professional counselor. I would not recommend it in any other way besides having a trained professional counselor who knows what they're doing in an intervention. And you walk in and you tell this person, you're in bad shape. And we want to give you some tough love right now. Snatch them from the fire. Last week after the sermon, a lady in our church, a godly woman that I respect so, so deeply, sent me this great quote from Charles Spurgeon. Listen to what he has to say. Oh, my brothers and sisters in Christ, if sinners will be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. And if they will perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees, imploring them to stay and not madly to destroy themselves. If hell must be filled, at least let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let not one go there unwarned and unprayed for. The idea is, if they are going to head this direction, then may they head that direction with the blood, sweat, tears, and exertion of me as I'm doing everything within my power to keep them from it, ultimately recognizing it's not my power that will save them. I'm just the conduit of God. When folks go down that path, snatch them out of the fire. The final group he talks about is that we are to show mercy with fear to those who are entrenched in sin in verse 23. There are certain sins that we should be very weary of moving forward with. In other words, going in and trying to dive in headlong and to meet them there without any level of caution is a foolish, foolish thing. Paul tells us to restore others gently. He tells us, that we may be caught up in their sin as well. Years ago, I was just beginning to grow in my faith. I was in college and very excited about what it is that God had done to change me internally. I couldn't take credit for what was going on inside of here. And there was a woman whom I had a, a, a professional relationship with. She had found herself in a particular sin. And she reached out to me, who was the spiritual one in the group. And in tears, she asked if I would come and to pray and to counsel her. And my heart immediately bled for this woman. And so I said, of course I would do that. And so my father is a pastor. I called him on the phone and said, Dad, how should I handle this? Give me some wise counsel. And he said this, don't go. Excuse me? Son, don't go. Let us go. Dad, why would I not go right away? And, 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 and he said, experience and wisdom. When others are caught up in a particular sin, when we rush in with no real plan, with no care, with no fear of that sin, of of giving in to that temptation, we are a breeding ground for the devil who comes to kill and to steal and to destroy. He hates you. 
And he would love to use your bleeding heart for someone else to usher you into a place of sin where he can render you ineffective. Be careful. Hate the sin. Yes, love the sinner. But enter in with caution. Well, this is how we contend. If he were to tell us now to stop right here and to say, well, this is how you contend. You just remember what it is that the apostles predicted and then you keep yourselves in the love of God. and You extend mercy to those and, and that's what, then you just go do it and just be like Jesus. It would be actually cruel of him in the process. And I don't actually think he's finished with the full instruction of how it is that we're to contend. This last section is a section that I can't hear in any other voice than the King James. If you were trying to read along in your Bible, you notice that we went from the ESV to something else. (laughs) And that's because the combination of my parents saying this throughout the years and Randy Pope giving this benediction over and again, I can't hear it in anything other than the King James. Years ago, Bob Carter had his family and they were memorizing certain passages of Scripture and they got to this particular section here and Will Carter, the youngest recited this beautiful doxology and as they were saying at the end of the dinner table he gets now unto him who is able to keep her from falling present you faultless before his presence with exceeding great joy to the only wise God our Savior let there be glory majesty dominion and power both now and forevermore (laughs) then he said this now if you would turn and greet those around you (laughs) he thought that was a part of the scripture My dearly beloved brothers and sisters, if right now you are thinking about that person who you have been praying for and laboring for, if your heart has been moved and stirred throughout this series thinking about how you can contend for them, right now at this very moment you find yourself in your mind drifting off, begging God to do something in their souls. If you're trying to find some new way in which you can give them new information in a manner that would be even more engaging and winsome, etc., you're probably asking, where's the hope for all of this? And this is where Jude turns our attention. Who is able? Who of us is able to contend for the faith? Who of us is able to snatch others out of the fire? Who of us can remain in the presence of God? Now unto him. Unto him who is able to keep you from falling. There is but one who has ever existed, who has the ability to do this. All have tried, all have failed, but came along one. He was born unto a virgin. He lived for 30 plus years. He went to a cross on our behalf. He was raised from the dead. And the same God who raised him from the dead is the one who is able now to keep you, to hold on to you, to hold on to your son who is wavering, to hold on to your boss who is walking away, to hold on to your spouse who is trying at this moment to abandon. He is the one who has the capacity, the power to walk after those and to keep them from falling away forever. He can keep them from stumbling of a temptation at the moment, but he can also keep them from falling away permanently. Not only is he able, 
he is willing. Not only is he great, he is good. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before his presence with exceeding great joy. The son presents this beautiful gift to God. The father presents this beautiful bride to his son. They are presenting us to each other in this gift. It is a joyous occasion for them. We are presented flawless. We are holy in his sight, free from accusation, without blemish. There is not one stain or spot or wrinkle because the blood of Jesus has covered all of that and his righteousness now has been extended to us. We are clothed and wrapped in it just as the garment wrapped around Adam and Eve in the garden. When that one was only temporary, this one is eternal. He presents us before his presence with exceeding great joy with not one blemish on us. He knows how to take joy in the work of his hands. He looks at your life now. He knows where you've come from. He knows where you're going. He who began the work will complete the work. And when he sees his handiwork and what he's done, he takes great delight and he takes great joy. And he takes that joy and he actually then presses it into our very souls as well so that we have the same type of joy that he has. We delight in his work and we delight in his presence now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before his presence with exceeding great joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. There is only one true God that has ever been in existence. There will only be one true God that will ever exist. There are plenty of other gods with little g's that buy for our attention. They beg and plead out to us, but they're all impotent. They're all foolish. They will never, ever provide your soul and my soul with what it is that we so desperately long for to the only wise God, the source of all wisdom. Let there be glory and majesty. He is glorious. His fame will only increase. The entire cosmos will call out one day. They will all bow in submission. The trees will clap their hands. The rocks will cry out, not because the people of God are not crying out, because they will join in and all bringing glory and honor and praise to the Father. Majesty, him who sits on the throne, then he says, dominion and power. His reign and his rule will know no bounds. It will be in every heart because every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling. To present you faultless before his presence with exceeding great joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, let there be glory and majesty, dominion and power. That word power is the ability that he has to get to do what he wants to do and to enable us to do what it is that he wants to do. How long is this going to last? Forever and ever. And then he says this, amen. So be it. So it is. Where's your hope? Does your hope lie in your ability to convince those that you love? Or does your hope lie in him who has the ability and the power? I could think of no better way to end this than by reading to you 
just a description of who God is himself. Rather than giving you some sort of a cute and trite illustration, I think it's best said by some men of old who put together where our hope actually lies. Listen to who it is that you'll be placing your hope in. There is only one living and true God who is infinite in being and perfection, a completely pure spirit, invisible without bodily parts or human emotions, unchangeable, immensely vast, eternal, beyond our understanding, almighty, completely wise, completely holy, completely free, and completely absolute. He works everything according to the purpose of his own unchangeable and completely righteous will for his own glory. He is completely loving, gracious, merciful, and patient. He overflows with goodness and truth. He forgives wickedness, transgression, and sin and rewards those who diligently seek him. His judgments are completely just and awesome. He hates all sin and will not acquit the guilty. God has all life, glory, goodness, and blessedness in and of himself. He alone is all sufficient in and unto himself. Nor does he need any of his creations or derive any glory from them. Rather, he manifests his own glory in, by, unto, and on them. He is the only source of all being, by whom, through whom, and to whom everything exists. He has completely sovereign dominion over all things and does with, to, or for them whatever he pleases. Everything is revealed and completely open to him. His knowledge is infinite, infallible, and does not depend on any created being, so that to him nothing is conditional or uncertain. He is completely holy in his purposes. He is completely holy in his works, completely holy in his commands. And to him is due whatever worship, service, or obedience he is pleased to require from angels, human beings, and all other creatures. My friends, your hope is in this God. To him. Who is able? Would you pray? Almighty God, we thank you for what it is that you have shared with us about who you are. Father, we ask that you would draw our minds' attention, but also our hearts' affections in on you. Father, would you enable us to do exactly what you asked Jude to put down on paper? God, would you help us to contend for the faith? Thank you that you've already promised us your power. Thank you you've already told us that you will do everything that is necessary. You'll give us everything for life and godliness. Remind us. Remind us of who you are when we forget. We love you. We are thankful for you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.